You're listening to The Blind, Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, playing multi-way pots. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It's going good. I have a little bit of a story about my weight to talk about. Two weeks ago, I weighed 301 pounds, and I've decided that we're going to do a little weight loss journey here. I've had it. I'm fed up with it. My knees hurt all the time. I have to climb up scaffold. I climb for a living pretty much and getting up in age and just can't do it anymore. So I've started a weight loss journey, and I am down 14 pounds as of today. I'm doing good. You feel better. It doesn't take losing a lot of weight before you start feeling better. And I think that it's going to help with my poker also, because we're making a point to exercise a little bit more, to eat a little healthier, to stay away from Wendy's Burgers, who is not a sponsor, but I'll just tell you, I I do truly love a good Wendy's Burger, but we're not going to be eating them for a while. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, first of all, let me say congratulations. 14 pounds is nothing to shake a stick at. That's pretty impressive. I do understand that between one and two pounds per week as weight loss is pretty healthy and sustainable. Any more than that might be water weight loss or actually might be muscle loss as you're just like starving yourself. So I'm glad to hear that you're taking a really active role in managing your weight and that'll be great. Definitely does have an impact at the poker table. You're able to have more stamina and last longer. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. As far as my week, I'm doing pretty well. I haven't played any poker. I haven't played any golf. I haven't studied any poker or golf. Like I mentioned last week, I've been playing Minecraft with my son in pretty much every waking moment, except for exercise and paying the bills and, oh, and also maybe buying a house. My father's looking to move closer to family. And the plan is that he will get a loan. He will make the down payment. I will make the monthly payments. And then he will live there. We'll be able to golf. We'll be able to play poker. We'll be able to whatever, visit. Looking forward to that. We put an offer on yesterday, and because of the market, it's kind of a silent auction. You don't get the chance to negotiate like you used to, where you say, hey, I'll offer X, and they say, "Uh, make it X plus 10. You're like, "Uh, how about X plus 5? Okay, deal. This time, you just have to cite a number, and you hope it flies. We'll find out later today. Actually, by the time this podcast airs, we'll find out if we got the offer. So it's pretty exciting. It's great. You know what? There's actually a similarity in the housing market to our topic today, because when I'm putting in an offer on this house, I'm almost guaranteed that this offer is going to go multi-way. It's not just going to be me and the seller. It's going to be me, four other potential buyers, and the seller. And that kind of sucks. You know what also sucks are multi-way pots. (laughs) Well, you know, they can suck. But the reality to a multi-way pot is if you understand how to play them, you're going to have a significant advantage. It can be harder to realize our equity, but there can be moments when we greatly over-realize the equity of a hand due to the fact that a lot of people just don't know how to play multi-way pots. There's a lot of problems for the average player going into a multi-way pot. So here's the problem I have with multi-way pots. Yes, they can be more profitable because if I have aces multi-way, I'm still a good favorite. I'm not an 83% favorite if I were all in heads up, but it might be closer to 70, might be closer to 60. If I play it right, I might still win. If I play it wrong, I could lose a lot. There's a challenger. I should have just said they suck. They're challenging. They're tough to play. (laughs) Yeah, well, they are challenging. And when we look at aces, like you, you just mentioned, Aces always have such a significant advantage, even when they drop below 
50% win rate, they're still winning larger pots a significant amount of time. And they're the exception to the rule. Most hands are going to do better when we can get the heads up and have other lines to manufacture EV rather than just hitting a hand or having the best hand at showdown. We can talk about some of the problems. When we play, most occasions, our goal is to get heads up. This is when we're going to do our absolute best in manufacturing EV. Well, we accomplished that with open raises and ISO raises. To explain that, we're open raising because we're trying to keep people from seeing a cheap flop. When we're ISO raising, it's because somebody's raised in front of us and we're going to three bet so that we can be isolated with that player. We don't want to have a lot of people going to the flop, but there's always those moments at low stakes anyways. There's those times when eventually people say, well, I want to play. They, they, they showed up to play. And sure, we can look at it as they're playing bingo, which they are. They're hoping to cheap flop, hit a big hand, and stack somebody off and go, you know, bingo. But eventually, they're going to want to play. You're not going to keep them from playing. And there's things that can add to that, too. Whenever there's a high hand promotion, I notice that people just don't want to fold. What do you do there, right? And the solution used to always be to pushing up against their pain threshold. If 3X doesn't get you heads up, go 4X, go 5X, go 6, so you can get to the number that always gets your heads up. Well, that's not happening anymore in today's game. In today's game, eventually people are going to call you or you're going to get to a situation where you push too high pre-flop and you are now setting yourself up for when you get called, you're probably behind and you're going to end up losing a bloated pot. It's one thing if you're probably behind and you have room to maneuver post-flop, but we're basically driving down the SPR so much that we're limiting our options post-flop when we do this. So we need to come up with a solution other than just finding their pain threshold. I think there's one other problem that comes in with bloating the pot and reducing the SPR. We force our opponents to play more perfect poker. When the SPR is low, the decision tree gets simplified, and even the worst rec players will likely make the right decisions because there are just so few options available to them. We make the most money when our opponents make the most mistakes. And when we force our opponents to limit the number of mistakes they make, we limit our ability to win pots against them and take their money. So it's a double-edged sword. We get more bloated pots and we force our opponents to play more perfect poker in those bloated pots. That kind of sucks. You're absolutely right. The last thing we want is for the game to get easier for our opponents. We want to make the game harder for our opponents. We want every decision to be one of questioning what they're doing. That's where they're going to make mistakes, not when we make it easy. Those two problems we just discussed are pretty much pre-flop problems. It's one thing when we shrink that SPR when we have strong hands or when we have a strong hand pre-flop and we go to the flop and the flop is advantageous to our range. But there are times when we're going to hit flops that aren't. Now we're in a bloated pot, and we don't have enough SPR in order to be able to maneuver. In case anybody's listening doesn't know what SPR, that's stack the pot ratio. We want the SPR low when we're trying to drive the decision to getting the money in because we have a strong hand. We want a higher SBR when we need to be able to maneuver post-flop in order to manufacture our EV. You're not going to be able to bluff very much when that SBR is low, because if they have something, they're calling. They're not folding it. Post-flop, a lot of players end up playing too loosely. They get it backwards. They're thinking, there's more people in a pot. I can chase more. I can play more hands. Well, the problem with that is that 
a lot of people fail to understand that the relative value of a lot of hands is dropped significantly. Heads up, top pair is a very strong hand and can make a lot of money. Multi-way top pair oftentimes turns into a hand that has showdown value, but you're going to find that it's not a hand that's going to stand up to a lot of aggression because you're going to have a lot more players that have hit two pair or hit their flush or who have hit that low board straight. So top pair stops being so strong. It's not what it once was. I think there's a very strong relationship between the number of players that are in a pot and the relative strength of one's hand and the categories of those hands. We did an episode a few months back about different hand classes, fat value, thin value, showdown value. Fat value will likely stay fat value. If you have top set, it's likely to be the best hand, even if you're multi-way. You still have to watch out for straights and flushes, be cognizant of that. More players in the pot means there are more people who might have a straight or a flush. Your thin value hands probably just got downgraded to showdown value hands. And your showdown value hands got downgraded to, oh my goodness, this probably isn't even showdown value, but I can't fold. So that's a sticky situation. Just be careful. Yeah. One of the things that people don't understand is when we get into multi-way pots, we are more open to reverse implied hots because you just mentioned top set. Well, a set is still a really strong hand, even multi-way, but you're that much more likely to run into a set over set situation because you have more players in. There's things to look out for. The relative value of even a set has gone down a little bit. Not much. It's still a really strong hand. We still want to play that hand aggressively, probably. We also need to be open to the fact that we may run into a stronger set. We're more likely to run into a stronger set than we would be if we were playing heads up. It's just a numbers game. I mean, we're not stating anything that's hidden. It's all pretty obvious if you think about it. You mentioned the scenario of set over set. Set over set is incredibly rare, generally speaking. However, the more players that are in the pot, the less entirely rare that is, and the more afraid we need to be when we're specifically out of position. If we're in a multi-way pot out of position, that's just dangerous all around because we're going to have more players to act after us. If we take any aggressive line, let's say we go ahead and we lead out with our top pair top kicker because typically in a heads-up situation, top pair top kicker is pretty darn strong. We're multi-way we're out of position, we lead out with top pair, top kicker, get one caller, get two callers, and then the third caller raises. We're hating life right now. What are we going to do about that? Do we think we can withstand calling the raise with top pair, top kicker? Sure, the third player might be squeezing. They might be bluffing. They might have a draw. How confident are you in your ability to suss out whether that player is squeezing or whether they actually legit have a strong hand? Because the more players in the hand, the more likely that player might actually have a strong hand because generally speaking, everyone knows when you are multi-way, your bluff frequency goes way down. Yeah, so we got a couple more problems to talk about here. And it already feels like we're just, there's so many problems, isn't there? So many problems. Multi-way <laughs> yeah. pots, multi-way problems. So I'm going to talk about another problem that people tend to have playing multi-way pots. Maybe they're in a multi-way pot, they're against three or four opponents, and it checks around to them. And they decide, they got nothing, but they decide, I'm going to take a stab at it. And every once in a while, everybody folds. And I promise you that this is the time that everybody remembers in their head. They remember the time they took a stab at it and everybody folded. People, this is not the norm. This is not a plus EV bluff. 
because most of the time you're just putting money into the pot for the eventual winner of the hand. You don't need to take stabs at it when you're facing three, four, five opponents. There'll be another hand to play. There'll be another opportunity. And there's more problems than what we're mentioning here. But one of the last things we're going to address is betting too large. People get real excited. We've mentioned set, so we'll mention it again. It's a, it's a got a nice strong hand. I got a set. Wow, that's this is I've smashed the flop. And then you bet really big because wow, you've got it. And there's so many people there. They're all going to call except the fact that you just bet big into four or five people. And guess what? They know you have to have a strong hand. So they're not calling if they don't have a strong hand. And you end up folding everybody out. And you I'm not going to say the play zero EV because every once in a while you're going to get a second best hand that's going to call. You're also sometimes, depending on what hands you're playing, sometimes you might run into a hand that's better than yours that's going to call and you didn't, you don't make much money there either when you're losing. This is not the best way to maximize EV. The other thing is overbetting when we're overvaluing a hand like top pair, top kicker, which we've already discussed, just isn't that strong multi-way. We get faced with this and we overbet because, oh gosh, I don't want the flush draw to get there. Well, two pair might have already gotten there. A set may have already gotten there. You're already facing an opportunity to blow the pot with a hand that multi-way just isn't that strong. So, Dal, given all the problems that we've talked about, all these multi-problems with multi-way pots, how many multi-way pots do we need to experience before making the adjustments that we're about to get to in the solutions part? The reason I ask that is because if I'm playing and I'm 100 big blinds deep, I can only bet large so many times until my stack no longer gives me maneuverability, provided I can't top back up. So at what point do we say these multi-way pots were just aberrations, they're just people catching cards, versus, oh wait, this is the table dynamic. I need to shift gears entirely. Yeah, there, there's going to be a couple of factors. I mean, the first one that's more important than any of the others is obviously stack depth. If you sit down at a table and everybody is 200 big blinds plus, you can still keep pushing for pain threshold and still have post-flop maneuverability, right? We can work on the equity denial side of things. We can work on the what's your pain tolerance? How much are you willing to play bad cards for? And we should, because in that situation, there's still a lot of value in pushing. If the average stack size is 100 big blind, this changes significantly, right? Because if we bet 10x and we get three callers, we're already down to an SBR of three, a little more than three, but you get my point. How much more are you going to push, right? You already have limited the amount that you can maneuver. You're pretty much looking at all the money going in by the turn. So what are you going to do? Bump it up to 12X? Well, now you're going to start looking at all the money going in on the flop or the turn. You reach a wall where it's no longer beneficial to keep upping it. So that's one thing. Stack size is going to determine. So if you get to a certain point for the moment, let's say on 100 big blinds, let's call that 8x. This is the point where I'm bumping my head against the wall. I'm going to change the way I look at things. If 8x ain't getting the folds you need, what's the difference between 8x and 10x? Either one of them is really great at 100 big blinds, but you're not going to go any further until it's like this just isn't plus EV anymore. Then there's another aspect to it. I find that these dynamics show up a lot when there's a promotion people are chasing. The high hand promotion is the big one. And it doesn't even matter what the high hand is for some reason. It can be 150 bucks and people still want to stay in and chase for that high hand. It's one of those things where it's hard to hit the high hand. 
but everybody's playing for the high hand and it's so much easier to manufacture EV, but you're not going to get them to fold because they came to play bingo. They're playing bingo within our poker game. Just to put that in context, if you're looking to chase a $150 high hand and you're playing 1-3, that is 50 limps. So let's say you limp in for 50 hands trying to chase that high hand promotion. You could very well do that in the course of two hours. Let's say you get dealt 25 hands an hour and you decide, I'm going to limp call every single hand. Oh, and by the way, limp calling isn't just limping. You may be calling a raise. So that gets even lower. If you were to hit the high hand and win that 150, you would have blown through that 150 or more just by the stupid notion of limp calling to chase. Stop chasing. Just stop chasing. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're listening to this and you like the high hand promotion, I'm not going to tell you to stop playing on the nights that the high hand promotion is going on. It's a good night to make money. Here's how you go about getting the high hand promotion. Play a well-constructed range. Play it appropriately. Raise the hands you should raise. Call with the hands you should call with. No, oh, by the way, High hands don't happen very often, but they're just as likely to happen to somebody playing it appropriately as the person who thinks that they should be playing deuces in a three-bet pot. They're hoping to hit quads. You're just trying to manufacture EV, and in that situation, there's going to be so many flops that they have to fold. You'll make so much more money by sound poker than you ever will chasing a high-end promotion. Now, the high-hand promotion, the numbers behind it, that sounded like a tangent, but just to bring it back, it actually does relate to multi-way pops because you need to stop the I was priced in logical fallacy. Just because you're priced in doesn't mean anything. You can't just play any two cards profitably and like there's huge reverse implied odds. So that's a huge thing. If you have four players, you're, you're I mean, even the best of times, your natural equity might only be a bit like over 25%. Yeah, so let's talk about that right there, natural equity. If you have four players in a pot and none of them are going to look at their cards and we're going to run out the flop, the turn, and the river, everybody has 25% equity because no cards are known. But that's obviously not how poker is played. So if you are looking at your hand and your hand would only have 20% equity against the ranges, they would limp against the ranges, they would raise, whatever the action is, if it will only have 20%, then you're not even meeting the natural equity expectation. And therefore, you're not priced in. If your equity is ever less than what the natural equity would be, if nobody knew their cards, you are not priced in. This fallacy that people tell themselves, all you're doing is increasing the number of times that you're going to lose. Stop it. Stop doing that. Stopping in love with top pair. Top pair just isn't that strong multi-way. It's a great hand. Heads up. Heads up poker. Top pair is often the best hand. That's fine. Multi-way, not so much. You have to know when to fold. So if we are facing any aggression at all, we have to be comfortable to fold that and wait for a better opportunity. Yeah, this is one of those things. We probably need to do a podcast on this at some point. It really won't be a very long one if we do. The difference between absolute value and relative value. And in multi-way pots, first of all, it always matters what the difference is. But in multi-way pots, the relative value is going to be so much more important than the absolute value of your hand. And a perfect example is if you have 8-7 suited and you flopped a flush, but you bet in to your opponents. And the next person raises, and then the next person raises them. Well, now you're getting three bet on the flop. How good is your eight high flush 
it's not that good anymore. Does that mean you want to fold? No, but you're not thrilled about the situation. You've just been put in a bad situation. You're basically going to be trying to get to showdown as cheaply as possible now. So it's important to really understand relative value of your hands when we're dealing with these multi-weight pots. In top pair, top kicker isn't that great. It's, 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 it's okay. When we have top pair, top kicker, and it checks around to us, maybe we want to bet because that hand could really use some protection, right? But we don't have to bet big. We can bet small. One of the solutions is betting smaller is generally going to be a better path to take when we don't have nut hands multi-way. And for that matter, it can often be a better path to take even when we do have nut hands because what's going to happen is we're going to be far more likely to get called with our smaller bets. You were talking about betting post-flop, betting smaller because our hands need protection. What about just opening smaller? Instead of doing the 5, 6, 7, 8x open raise, given that we know we're going to go multi-way and all of these crazy players at our table are going to chase the high hand promotion. They're going to call no matter what. It doesn't make any sense for us to open large like we would to get heads up. Frankly, we're not going to get heads up. Get rid of that notion. Just forget about it. Open smaller. Absolutely. So you can go back to the old 3x bet, or you could even go to 2x, 2.5x, and probably do a lot better. Because what's going to happen is you're going to be able to have far more maneuverability post-flop. And when you have to fold, and you're going to have to fold a lot, and that's all right. Folding tends to be good poker. You're going to have invested less money. It's all right to say betting bigger is just not working right now. I'm going to go to betting smaller because I'm just not folding anybody out. And think of this as investing is important. The chips in our stack become more valuable in multi-way pots. So what do I mean by that? They're going to give us more money when we use them, if we use them properly. But they're also going to cost us more money when we don't use them properly. Multi-way pots are going to reach the extremes a lot quicker, of making us a lot of money. So what we want to do is we want to conserve our stacks and pretty much save them for situations that are going to make us a lot of money. Don't be like, oh, well, I'll chase or, you know, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm priced in and waste those chips. And another part of that is be topped up, be at the max stack that you can be so that when it happens, you have the ability to get paid enough to make up for all those times that you're going to miss. That's an interesting concept because at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about all the problems that come with multi-way pots. And this is one massive opportunity that comes with multi-way pots. You could make a ton of money if you play your hands properly, if you play pre-flop sound, if you play sound post-flop, if you can manufacture EV and not fall into the traps that everyone else falls into about chasing and being priced in and all that stuff. So I might actually recant what I said earlier, how multi-way pots suck. They don't suck. They are challenging. And I did say that, but there is ample opportunity. With great power comes great responsibility. I would say one of the tools, if you want to see just how this equity plays out in multi-way pots, one of the tools that we talk about all the time is Flopzilla. And look at Flopzilla and multiplayer role. If you have Poker Cruncher, which is free for either your phone or your computer, you can plug in your range, your opponent's ranges, your exact hand even, and your opponent's exact hands, and you can see just how low your equity goes. The truth is, you get to the point where you're not even a favorite to win the hand anymore. It's important to 
use these tools and get that information and get it in your head because it's always funny. You'll, be, you'll have somebody at the table who is got aces and they couldn't fold anybody out, but nobody's been able to fold anybody out all night. You know, what made you think your 3x bet with aces was going to fold people out? And they'll berate the people for sticking around. But then, you know, the flop came and somebody hit two pair and the guy bet the same bet he did pre-flop with four people in there. So he's betting like a fifth of the pot. How can these idiots never fold? And well, dude, nobody was folding anybody out all night long. And maybe you need to pay attention to your relative strength of your hand, which is why we want to use these tools. You get a better understanding of what the true value of your hand is in a situation. Probably the easiest tool that we can apply heads up and multi-way, pretty much any time you play poker, is focusing on being the aggressor in position. We mentioned the problems of being out of position, the problems of any time you bet, you could get a cavalcade of callers, and then somebody raises you and puts you to a really tough, painful decision. You can avoid all that if you're in position, and you would know if you're the one inflicting the pain, they're more likely to cave. The funny thing is, is I think that there are going to be people who aren't going to understand why we're calling position a tool, but it is a, it's absolutely a tool. It's going to matter more in multi-way pots than it will ever at our heads up because getting as much information as you can before you have to act, and especially when you're going to have that position on multiple streets, one of our solutions is real simple. Play real tight from early position when this is going on and loosen up from late position, which by the way, that's really part of a good range construction, but just flat out, you can tighten up even more early position. You can loosen up a little bit more late position and really use the power of position. Here's an actual tool. So Dell mentioned that it's kind of tongue-in-cheek that we're saying position's a tool. Here's an actual tool. Use a tick sheet on your phone or a piece of paper. I would recommend your phone because it's inconspicuous. You can take notes on your phone. When you're playing poker in your next session, your next two sessions, take a note of every hand you play and whether you play that hand in position or out of position. And just see how often you're putting yourself in bad spots when you're out of position. It's easy to do. Just check. So we're going to mention a third tool here, but this one's going to be interesting because as of the day that we're recording this, I, I was watching a, uh, a split suit video, James Sweeney, and he was all excited because he had found a solver for multi-way pots. The name of it was Simple Three-Way. I have not used it, but I want you to know that if my opinion of James Sweeney is this. If he thinks it's uh, he's excited about it and he's happy about it, I'm willing to share it as a tool. And we're going to make sure we have a link in the notes for you. Because if we can get solvers to multi-way pots, there's going to be a lot of changes in poker, which leads us to the fact that poker still isn't solved. There's still some solving in poker to be done. There's still some work. There's still some ways to improve our game. I have nothing else to add on this topic, Dale. Do you? You know, I do, but I refuse to talk for another hour. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Honestly, this is a very deep topic, and I think that we may come back to it. We're not going to do a series on this one, but we may come back to it in a year, especially if we're coming up with uh, multi-way solvers here, and we might have some new information. Um, so I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the fact that poker is still evolving, and I guess that's what I have to close on. Well, thanks for joining me this week, Dell. It was awesome, BJ. Love it. Love it too. And until next week, stick to the plan and may all your variants be positive. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. 
And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. 